Welcome to Two Pastors, Take a Walk, and Make a Podcast. This is Yolando, and as always, we're talking about what is astonishing us, what we're thinking about, and what we are preaching. So I will go first. Um, This past weekend was interesting for me because I flew to Texas um, and was really honored to officiate at the wedding of um, a friend. I actually lived with her family while I was in seminary, and so it was really fun to reconnect with her and her parents and um, but I, what was astonishing me was I had gone to this wedding in Austin, Texas, and I did not know anyone except for my friend who was the bride and her parents. And obviously, if you go to a wedding, um, you can't just stand next to the bride all day because she's got, she knows everyone and she does not need to babysit you. And I, it was just funny. And, and during, um, the, the rehearsal dinner and, and the, at some point during the reception, I think I, well, I texted many people because I was like, I am standing in a room full of people and no one wants to talk to me. <laughs> and it was horrible because everyone knew everyone except for me. And I was there alone and I, I just am never the kind of person. I really enjoy meeting people. I enjoy talking to people, um, and and most often I will meet people in the context of the church or my. Mm-hmm. It just it's not hard for me to start up a conversation. And what? so, this was this crazy experience where I was in this space and I had all of this social anxiety because I could not really think of anything to say to anyone. And listen, nobody wants to talk to the pastor, right? And I was miserable like really if there is a personally designed hell one might just put me in a room full of people having a good time and, and no one wants, no to, one talk wants to, to talk you. to you right like it was it was awful but i i texted yolando to say like is this what it feels like to be an introvert because if so like I really, I, I owe you, I don't know, like, I want to have a telethon for you, or, like, I, I do not appreciate the strength. Welcome that, like, to my I world. Just, Welcome to anyway, my introverted world. I just, I was so happy to be there. I was so honored to play the part I played, but it was just such a strange experience to be in a crowd of people and just not know anyone and not really know how to connect with anyone and not have anyone really which understandably i mean this wasn't this was not a churchy crowd and so um, most people are understandably wary about beginning a conversation with anyone who self-identifies as a pastor and so anyway it was very hard it was very uncomfortable and it makes me have a great i mean it was helpful Hmm. um on a serious note it was helpful for me again to realize how difficult it is for someone on a spiritual journey who is seeking a community to walk into a space where everyone is having an experience that you also want to have mm-hmm. and there's like a an invisible barrier between you and everyone else and just how, you know, no one, you feel like you stick out and like everyone's staring at you and noticing that no one's talking to you. And the reality is they're not, like That's they're right. enjoying themselves, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just a really, really uncomfortable space. And so um, I was... Not grateful for the experience, but at least grateful to reconnect with Mm. no matter, you know, as we were talking last week, no matter how welcoming we think we are, like it's not even enough to come up and have a five minute conversation and then move back to your friends. Like you you really, 
if you don't include people, then you are excluding them, even mm-hmm. if that's not your intention. And so anyway, it was very uncomfortable. I don't know how you walk through the day. I My hat's off to your strength. Let me know when I can contribute to your GoFundMe. <laughs> to you <laughs> and to all of the introverts like well, you. Well, when I'm in that place of it. social anxiety, you know, there, there is a part of me that screams, run, mm-hmm. just run. And as an introvert, you do have to work at taking a deep breath, mm-hmm. staying in the space, dealing with your anxiety, and finding, I mean, you really have to find a way to connect with someone. And I think after 20 plus years of ministry, I've just developed a a certain skill that allows me to deal with that anxiety and to look, I can scan the room and say, oh, I can connect with that person and kind of make a beeline. Uh, But uh, yeah, I remember sometimes early on, especially uh, before ministry, when I would be in a social setting and uh, gosh, I... Many times I would just leave because it would be yeah. so painful because you just don't know how to connect with anyone. Yeah, and I think it also helped me realize because I was working really hard that I sometimes will see people in a social gathering and I'll see them on their phones mm. and internally I'll think like, oh, can't you put your phone down and live your life? And I just realized like, oh gosh, like there is only so often, mm-hmm. so long that you can stand there with kind of a pleasant expression on your face that but, says, I'm open to having a conversation, but I'm not desperate. You don't have to talk to me, but I'm not, you know, like right. it's really that's hard. Right. And so to pick up your phone makes it something to do, right. right? So you, and you're So actually, you don't run out of the room screaming. Right. And it makes you realize like, oh no, there are people in the world who do know me and yeah, like me and want yeah. to talk to me. Anyway, so I I, I and like I said, run out of run, run out of the room screaming. Actually, you kind of slide slowly right. out of the space. Yeah. I mean, it's like being back in the middle school cafeteria, yeah. right? Like, it's well, just... and you're right to highlight the importance of our hospitality ministries. I mean, it's mm. just. I remember um, when I was changing denominations and visiting churches for the first time as a college student. It was so hard to, and as a person training for ministry to go to a church for the first time and walk into a sanctuary and you just think everyone is they they glance at you and then they just move on yeah and it's like yeah. oh okay i'm yeah. and, and you conclude i'm not welcome here right and it is really interesting that in order to really make people feel welcome it needs to be more than hi how are you glad you're here mm-hmm. now i'm going back to my group mm-hmm. it To really make people feel welcome, like they belong, it needs to be, hi, how are you? I'm Kate. Would you like to sit with me and my family? Oh, come with me when the service is over because we go and get lemonade. And Mm -hmm, then I'm like, or mm -hmm. could you, I mean, you know, that you have to say not just, I'm glad you're here, but I want to include you in what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And that, you know, is not, it's not easy, but if you don't do it, I mean, Man, it's hard. Yeah, okay. well, it's hard. Again, it's hard. welcome to my anyway, world. I know. I just, I'm sorry. Wow. I take back every time I've ever rolled my eyes at your at your many comments that start with, well, as an introvert. <laughs> I'm sorry. I take it back. Yes. Oh, anyway. lovely. So what is astonishing you? Well, uh, Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, I was on the sofa flipping through channels and came across a piece on, I think it was the National Geographic channel. And... Wow. Um, so I am Nerd. totally aware of the history of slavery in the Caribbean 
mm-hmm. and in South America, especially a country like Brazil. But I was not aware of the history of slavery in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And this piece was on uh, people of African descent today mm-hmm. in Mexico. And I, my assumption was that uh, the Spanish violently colonized Mexico and that the people we know today as Mexicans are the uh, descendants of the Spanish or those indigenous people or a combination of both. Mm-hmm. And I, I really did not know that there was any um, uh, African heritage in mm-hmm. Mexico. So I, I, I just sat there with my mouth open. And then the next day, I'm going through my uh, inbox and my email, and there is a review of the current issue of Church History Magazine. Didn't know if you knew that there was a Church History Magazine. For but the there second is. time, I will say, nerd. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and this, this, this current issue is all about the history of Christianity in Latin America. Hmm. And uh, the whole issue, uh, various scholars have written all of these articles. And there's one uh, featuring a particular slave um, and... Uh, all, all that she suffered, I mean, it was such horrible abuse and oppression. At some point, I, I had to stop reading the article because mm-hmm. it was it was so painful to read. Um, and then uh, you, you go on through the history of Africans in Mexico, and um, there is this um, triumph. Um, I... It's meant, it was meant to be a, a piece of history, but I left it inspired mm-hmm. by the uh, survival, um, the endurance, the triumph, again, of, of African people. Um, another takeaway was thinking about this current moment of, of crisis on the border, mm-hmm. right? So I'm also thinking, hey, those are also my people ethnically mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm just astonished by this whole history that I was totally clueless about. Yeah. African Christians in Mexico. Well, I mean, and to your point, I was listening to a review the other day about John Leguizamo has a new mm-hmm. show called Latin History for Morons. Wow. And it and he's, he's talking about basically trying to help his son find a person of Latino heritage to do an, a report on and just realizing he didn't, he didn't, mm. he did not know as a person of Latin descent and, and Latino descent and like uncovering all of this history about, you know, that there were, um, you know, Latinos people who, who fought in the revolutionary war of America, that they, that, that many, much of the revolutionary war was funded mm. by, you know, wealthy people of Latino, you know, heritage or people who were I mean I don't know if it would have been called Puerto Rico then but Mm -hmm, anyway he was just mm -hmm. saying like I didn't realize and and that every war that America has ever fought has been fought with Latinos as part of it and just like this I have been taught after I graduated from school that American history has been whitewashed Mm. I have accepted that as true but he was saying and just listening he was saying that he just couldn't believe all that he didn't know about this rich heritage of this, you know, in, of the empires that Latino people yeah. had built and how 
just our the way that we've been taught to frame the world in the United States of America is so white centric and that we just don't yeah. know about, you know, that he was saying like the Incan Empire had like like technology oh gosh, I can't think of a example that he was giving, but like I mean something something to my non-tech brain that had to do with like like tech technology wow, like I mean just wow, to, I mean wow. all the stuff that we you know I was taught that like the Greeks and the Romans had it going on and then the Europeans had it going on and then yeah. everybody else you know got civilized by the western world and again I know that that's not true but I also don't know what the truth is yes. and when you uncover you get it you get this glimpse of like these incredibly astonishing true mm, things mm-hmm. that you don't know yeah. and then you're not only astonished at what you don't know, but you're astonished at how um, powerful and effective the whitewashing of history has been, that we really do all walk around with this unconscious bias that Caucasians mm-hmm. have mm-hmm. some sort of innate mm-hmm. abilities yeah. that people of other races don't have because the way we've been taught to see the world reinforces yeah. that bias. And I think it's so relevant for the two of us as pastors because it makes you realize that the knowledge that you have shapes how you see the world and who you are as a person and and really controls your destiny. Mm. And so what we are charged with doing is giving people knowledge of their true heritage, of what the gospel actually is, as opposed to what it's marketed to be. And, you know, and, and if you deny people truth, that's not just a matter of like, oh, this is a fact you don't have. It is your perception of reality is impoverished. Yes. And that affects how you can show up in the world. Yeah. One of the things that so disappointed me as I read this article was how the Catholic Church played a part mm-hmm. in the slavery of Africans, in the mm-hmm. enslavement of Africans in Latin America. And of course, there was this thinking, very intentional, that said that people of African descent were intellectually, morally, emotionally, uh, spiritually inferior. And the legend of Ham and just all, of all that. kinds yes. of yeah. And um, the Archbishop, there's a there's a piece um, uh, in, in this article that uh, gives you part of the letter of the Archbishop of Mexico. He sends a letter to the king of Spain saying, these people are really believing the gospel. I don't think we should be enslaving them. I don't think we should be treating them this way. And this was in the 16th century. So, you know, slavery lasted hundreds of years after that. And and the king, of course, said, no, (laughs) we're not changing the situation. Uh, And again, um, I'm astonished and inspired by by the triumph, the the, the work of the Spirit, um, uh, in in helping people get the gospel in the midst of this horrible oppression and inhumane um, system. I just find it astonishing that we we are we are here. We are here in spite of attempts to break, dehumanize 
What, do you, what were you going to well, say? Well, I just, what's astonishing to me in that story is I want to know, so what happens next? Like, what happens next when the Archbishop of Mexico, that's the one person who wrote mm-hmm, the letter, mm-hmm. gets a letter back from the king saying, nah, nah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or yeah. keep things as they are. I mean, then I feel like as a person of faith, when you know the truth, you you have to walk away mm. from the power structures, right? I mean, like... Well, maybe he did. I mean, who knows? But I'm just saying, well, too often we we the act like the institution remained for hundreds of years after that. So who, who knows? Well, right, and I and I just think like that's the problem. I mean, post Constantine, when the church has this opportunity to spread the gospel and be powerful, mm. that too often, wow. in order to hold on to our power, what we said is like, okay, well, we'll just shave the corner mm. off of that truth that we know. We know. You yeah. know. Mm-hmm. You read the book of Exodus. You know. That God is not down with the chosen people being slaves or in general with this mm-hmm. institution. You know that. I mean, that's just a common sense read, and you have to bend over backwards yeah. in order to read it any other way. And so, I mean, I, I think we I talk all the time about like the gift of serving at the Grove, um, and a part a huge part of the transformation was like we lost our institutional strength and stability. Like we lost that. And to some extent, have never regained it. Although things are not as precarious now as they were, but I mean, we're we're never that far away. We are not institutionally strong, but losing that then opened up space for us to gain a level of spiritual depth mm. and freedom and maturity that we couldn't have as long as we were trying to make sure that we protected the institution at all costs, or that oh, we kept. I mean, you good. know, and it just seems like sometimes churches in general have to make a choice between there comes a crosswords where you cannot be institutionally strong and spiritually strong, and sometimes when you prize making the institution strong, when you've got the endowment that this this big, or you have to really question, you know, are we making choices based on what the gospel would call us to do, or are we mm-hmm. making choices based on what seems prudent yeah. and what will protect our investment. And That's good. Anyway. That's so. good. So, so what are you thinking about? Um, so I have been on the plane. I hate, I hate flying. Um, I'm a person of faith, but that doesn't mean <laughs> that I take for granted that my plane won't crash. And um, many people God loves have died in plane crashes, so God is no respecter of persons. So I'm just saying... I don't take anything for granted. And anyway, I'm so glad your plane didn't crash. I'm very glad my plane didn't crash. Um, so even though I lost my license in the airport checkout, you know, I rarely get to see you in a place of anxiety. Oh so. my gosh! Yeah, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Plane landed, didn't die. That is a successful travel experience for very me. Good. But I was doing a lot of reading on the plane mm. to distract myself from you know being. <laughs> 50,000 feet in the air in a tin can. And um, I was reading the um, Rachel Held Evans Searching for Sunday book, which is really good and was really helping me, you know, every week at the Grove because we're trying so hard to be a growing community and to be a community where people can belong before they believe and being a community where we're really intentional about every time we gather for worship. It is our hope and prayer that there will be people there who don't know what we're doing and Mm. aren't sure why they're there. Mm. And so we really need to be intentional about always explaining everything that we do while we're doing it, but doing it in like an artful way. Right. So Mm -hmm. not in a kind of not jargon. Got it. And, you know, and so I'm always looking for new ways to 
say, you know, this is what's happening when we confess our sins, and this is what's happening at the communion table, and yes. this is what's happening at the baptismal font, and this is what's happening in the prayers of the people, or the offering. Yeah, like, why good. do we do these mm-hmm, things, and what mm-hmm. are the theology? And I think what I've discovered is, you know, it's good for people who are coming for the first time or the first few times, but it's also really good for those of us who aren't, because we can sort of just forget just the 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 majesty and the depth yeah. of why we do what we do and mm-hmm. what it means. And so anyway, this book has been really great for that. Um, What's the title of it? Uh, Searching for Sunday by okay. Rachel Held Evans. Um, and she writes a lot about... Um, she writes a lot about the different movements of worship, and so she's writing about confession and pardon, and I'm thinking about that because we're going to have a Sunday in two Sundays where we're having a Freedom School Sunday, so all of our Freedom School families are invited in, and I'm really hopeful that lots of them will come, and so really want to be extra aware of how we're articulating what we do and why, because there will be non-believers and then people who come from other traditions. Anyway, so talking about how we're going to explain what confession is, and I wanted to share this quote. I mean, just talking about... Um, how we so um, tend to understand sin as something that other people have and wanting to name and label people who aren't like us as the real sinners that Mm. Jesus was talking about um, and that Jesus always in the gospel made a point of hanging out with Mm. the people who God lovers didn't hang out, you know, Mm -hmm, like, and, mm -hmm. and not just like, sinners, I mean, not just prostitutes, but also like tax collectors. I mean, people who were participating and profiting off of the system of Mm -hmm, oppression, mm -hmm, right? So mm -hmm. in modern day times, you would say Jesus is hanging out not only with those who are in the cages at the border camps, but also accepting invitations to go into the homes of the workers who are overseeing them, right? Mm -hmm, So like, but mm -hmm. that, that is what Mm -hmm. we mean by sinner. Like it's not, not cute, right? And, um, Anyway, this, uh, she, she has at one point, um, there are people religious people love to hate for they provide a convenient sorting mechanism for externalizing sin as something that exists out there among other people with other problems, making other mistakes. It's the oldest religious shortcut in the book. The easiest way to make oneself righteous is to make someone else a sinner. That's good. And I just was thinking about like the power of our communities and it's the same power that recovery communities have. The power and what's distinctive about our communities is when we really understand that we are gathering around not only a common worship of Jesus as Lord, but a common understanding of our own identity as sinner. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. I'll never grow beyond that mm-hmm. identity. I will never outgrow my need mm-hmm. for forgiveness and that I think, you know, so often, and you and I have different opinions about Jonathan Edwards, but like so often we think like, well, I don't want to get up there and preach sinners in the hand of an angry mm-hmm. God at the mm-hmm. middle of every worship service. Mm-hmm. And and I don't want people to walk away thinking like you're scum and you're nothing and you're garbage and mm-hmm. God's tired of you. That's not it. But having this really sober, realistic understanding of like, I am a sinner yeah. and I'm not different than um, than than the person who is you know overseeing the children in cages at the border or the government official that I think should be stopping it or you know the person who stole something from the corner store. Mm-hmm. I mean I might not have done those particular actions, but I also am not living those particular lives. Yeah. And you know just that you think that that would make you 
hate yourself and hate everyone else, but actually it's exactly the opposite that you get this ability to A, repent and recover and pivot and make new choices and B, you have this ability to see also what is lovely and what is hopeful and what is holy about people who otherwise you would just want to turn away from in disgust as like, oh, you're a sinner, and you realize, but no, but but so am I, and this is the human condition. And mm-hmm. I think, especially for you and me, as people who feel really called to create multiracial communities, mm-hmm. I just feel like in the context of just the pervasive brutality and sinfulness of white supremacist racist culture that is America, if all of us don't have a really common understanding of ourselves as sinners, mm-hmm. um, then I don't know that there's any way to find a place of common ground, even in the church, right? Yes, because one of my um, critiques uh, concerning both parties is that they seem to co-opt faith mm-hmm. in that w- whatever party you're affiliated with, that that's neither here nor there, is that whatever party you're in tells you that you are on the right side, capital T-H-E, and the other party, they're not just wrong, they're bad. Right. And so it it, it feeds a certain kind of self-righteousness that's laced with um, uh, religious sentiment. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I think that's very dangerous and we have to have this common understanding of we are all sinners right and that if we that like she has a line jesus hung out with sinners because there were only sinners to hang out with right and (laughs) i mean just to really live in that and to say like if you if you think that jesus doesn't have any medicine for your Mm. sin sick soul then Mm then you're one of the blind people who are not going to get sight because they don't know they're blind. And one of the things I love about uh, the book of Revelation is that when you get these glimpses of people in heaven, right? So it's, it's all tribes, peoples, languages, and nations. They're wearing these dazzling, bright uh, robes, waving palm branches, and they're singing about the redemption of sinners. Mm-hmm. Um, worthy is the Lamb who was slain, right? And so, what's underneath that is, well, you got to begin with this idea that, or not just an idea, the truth that we are all sinners. Yeah, I mean, she she also says when Jesus came, said he came not for the righteous, but for the sinners. He meant that he came for everyone, mm. but only those who know they're sick can be healed. Only those who listen to the rumblings in their belly can be feel, mm. filled. Only those who recognize the extent of their wounds and their wounding can be made well. Mm. And I just, you know, I think for so often, like if there's this reticence in the church about reaching out to others and inviting others in, or if we're saying, you know, we we can't share faith in Jesus with other people if we're not really excited about our own faith in Jesus. I mean, part of that is because some of us have accepted the culture's definition of what a good person is and feel like we've met it. And so, like, Jesus loves me, and we kind of think, I mean, we wouldn't say it out loud, but we kind of think, like, duh, of course Jesus loves me. I'm a good person, Mm -hmm. right? And so I'm not that excited about Mm -hmm. Jesus loving me because I kind of feel like it's what I'm owed. And I cannot get yes. excited about grace. I cannot get excited about good God's goodness to me if I really feel like it's just NBD, right? Because I pay my taxes and I have a job and I'm 
you know, I'm decent. That's yeah. good. So anyway, that's what I'm thinking about and wow. kind of really, because I mean, people wonder like, why do we do that this mm-hmm. every week? Like, what is the point? Why? Yes. And so to really find a way of saying like, if you don't know anything else, you have to find a way of walking through the world with love, knowing that you are a real sinner in ways that matter. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know that, then you don't know salvation. Yeah. I mean, you just don't because mm-hmm. you don't think that you need salvation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And um, and I also feel like as a white person, as a Caucasian person, you know, there's a lot of talk in the world about white fragility mm-hmm. and how white people have such a hard time. I mean, it's true. Like, it is hard as a white person to learn the truth of history in this country and to learn sort of what people, what your ancestors have done and mm-hmm. what people are still doing, you know, in the name of preserving the power structures that be. And it can be... There's this deep tension to say, but I'm, you know, I'm a good person. And so some of this, yeah. maybe it's not as bad as it sounds. But mm-hmm. but if I'm a Christian, then I already know I'm not a good person, right? I already wow. know I'm a sinner. And wow. so if you were to come to me and say, you know, Kate, when you said this and this, or when you did that and that, you know, really, this was... I mean, that was racial bias coming out in you, or that was a racist thing to say. Like, I'm not saying that wouldn't hurt me. I'm not saying I wouldn't be embarrassed or ashamed. But, I mean, I shouldn't be surprised to discover that I can make choices that are sinful, right? And that shouldn't be new news. The church is the community of people where you can both call those things out and be forgiven. Correct. And everyone move on together move forward together right and and because ultimately what's ultimate about me is not at stake even in that conversation yeah. Yeah. because i already knew i was a sinner and yeah. i already know that god calls me beloved and so even if i never get my ish together on this yeah. side of the grave i know that god won't stop calling me beloved and yeah. so i have this place of security of knowing who i am that mm. gives me the freedom to really confront and mm. seek the lord and repentance when I fail to live up to the things even that I hold most most yeah. dear. So anyway, thinking about how I'm a sinner, that's what I'm thinking about. Wow. How to convince everyone else what? that they're a sinner too. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, what are you thinking about? Something a lot less sophisticated than that. <laughs> I'm thinking about the bet we made about oh, my preaching through only Philippians. People could see the huge smile. Oh on my, face. This my is I'm such a satisfying moment for me. Okay, so we started the series through Philippians on Sunday. Uh-huh, and you're you one would, weekend. Yes, I'm just one week in. And, and remind I'm, the good people who maybe this is an appointment television for them. Remind the good people what our bet was. Please, please. Our bet mm-hmm. was that, well, you're saying I will not finish this series before Advent. Correct. And I'm saying I'm going to finish this series through Philippians by the end of September. Right? <laughs> okay. I think you've already extended <laughs> farther than you originally well, said. Now I'm Whatever. A, I'm a little nervous. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. You're one weekend and you've discovered... Because on Sunday... Mm-hmm. How far did you get? Well... We read 11 verses. Uh-huh. The bulletin said 11 verses. Uh-huh. The email I sent out to the congregation on Friday said, we're going to walk through the first 11 verses. Uh-huh. And um, seven, I think, we got through. <laughs> and listen, I had, you know, I had the points of the message. And I got to point number two. And I just said to the congregation, 
we should stop right here. I think the Holy Spirit wants us to stop here. We'll, we'll pick up <laughs> next time. And I had already gone long. And my thinking was, look, Philippians, it's just four chapters. Uh-huh. Come on. And so three sermons per chapter, uh-huh. surely by the end of September. Uh-huh. I'm thinking, oh, my. I'm starting to get nervous about this bet. Uh-huh. But it's just the first quarter, so... Um, well, good thing that, that Philippians only has about 15 verses in the whole thing. You'll be fine, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it's funny. I and I deeply resonate uh, because I have moments of self-delusion as well. Uh, I mean, we all do. But it's just yes. funny. I can totally see how it happened. And it was you, until you sat down to start writing the sermon, right? Yes. Like, you really thought you could do it yes. until you sat down to start writing the and sermon. You, you have said to me over the years, yep. Hinton, here's what you do. You take a text, and you want to say most of the wonderful, beautiful things that you see in the text. You want to say every true thing (laughs) that you know in that text. Okay, maybe. Maybe that's true sometimes, but not all the time. And, oh, my. I left worship. I was driving home thinking, I might lose this bet. Like, when we made the bet... I was oh, thinking, yeah. uh, you thought I was crazy. That was the best thing about it. Actually. <laughs> you thought, I thought like, oh, she thinks she's cute. Yeah, I'm like, you're no. out of your listen, mind. Listen, and first of all, I'm, I might lose. Let me make it clear. But we, we did not lay out the terms. We however. didn't. Well, let me just say, first of all, I think often people, our friends, people who love us, sometimes do know us better than we know ourselves, right? Oh, my. Second of all, I will say, oh. in, like, not that it's a competition, but I mean, I think that you are a far better preacher and teacher than I am, right? Whatever. So, like, I, I really do feel oh. like, like, I, I don't, no one at Derrida is <sighs> complaining about your preaching. And you preach, on average, 45 minutes a week, and people routinely come up to you afterwards and say they wish you had kept going, right? So, well, I mean, it's just, go- it's just good, good, it's good, decent. good stuff. It's good, good, good stuff. So, I, I will say that. But, yeah, I mean, there's just no way. There is no way. I know you. I know you. I'm actually okay. going to be kind of impressed if you finish by Advent. Like, I see if there's a good possibility that you'll take a break at Advent, preach Advent through Christmas, oh and then pick it back up in January. I know you. And it'll be time oh well spent. Gosh. I'm not saying you shouldn't preach through the book of Philippians in an entire year. I'm just saying, I know you're not doing it in six weeks. I know you, so that's, that's great. bananas. So anyway, if anyone is listening and would like to join in the fun, <laughs> and we, we made this bet, but we didn't set up any terms for the bet. Yeah. And so I just think, I, like, I wonder, like, what should happen if, if you don't make yourself impose deadline, which, I mean, I swear we should check the tape. I think you said middle of September, but whatever. Really? Did I? I mean, okay. I, don't, I don't remember. I and honestly, I don't really care, because okay. I don't think you're going to make it no matter okay. what. I might have said middle of but, September. But I mean, I would be Because really... I was thinking, I was thinking somewhere between 12, 13, 14 weeks. And so yeah. I might have said the middle of September. Anyway, we'll see. But if anybody has any suggestions about what I should give Yolando if he manages to make his deadline, or what Yolando should give oh. to me... If he's still preaching it in Advent, we would love for you to join in on our fun. And you said earlier that you think you're gonna um, share it with the congregation. Yes, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna share this bet with the congregation and say, hey, look, this is this is this is what I'm doing with with Pastor Kate, and uh, they'll get a kick out of it. But I now mean, I'm I'm starting to get nervous. Well, you should be nervous, uh, my friend. Gosh. You should be. And I'm just one week in. That's the problem. Well, I did not think maybe you'll you know, pick up speed. 
Maybe, maybe. I mean, it's possible that Paul does. His introductions are very elaborate and very designed yeah. and sort of... But here's the problem. Oh, some, I know the problem. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, I that was problem. wrong and funny at yeah. the same time. But, you know, some of our favorite verses yep. are in, I can do all things through Christ. Yeah, right? and people really need to have it, that unpacked and recontextualized. Right, yes. Yep. Like, oh, wow. Yep, um, yep, yep. Rejoice always. Yeah. Again, I say rejoice. Yeah. Well, hey, good luck with that. <laughs> and no matter how long it takes you to preach through the book of Philippians, it will be time well spent. It so will. But I, I, it will be great. I, I want to be more disciplined uh, and, and, and focused. And so I, I'm gonna... I am not suggesting that you should preach through it more quickly. I'm just suggesting that you do not have a realistic sense of your own giftedness well, in preaching. That's all okay. I'm saying. All anyway, right, well, that's where we I am are. excited that's what I'm to thinking win about. this bet because I don't always win my bets <laughs> and when I do, anyway, it's great. It's so, sweet when you do. So what What are you preaching about this week, Yolanda? So, you going to um, do the next five verses? Actually, yes. <laughs> wait. Yes. Wait. Yes. Four. Next four verses. So you are going to preach so, four verses. So the plan last Sunday was uh, uh, to start Philippians 1 through 11. I got to verse, what, 6 or 7? No, verse 7. And um, and I said, well, we'll pick up there next week. And I need to see if it's so distinct from the next section that I just need to preach those four verses and then go on. Or if I can bridge it into the next part of the letter. I'm not sure yet. I love and the Holy so, Spirit told you to sit down. <laughs> yeah, well, and it was very clear. I love like, it. I had this I sense it. of the Holy Spirit saying, okay, stop. Hey, listen, from what I hear out there, I think the Holy Spirit is telling a lot of preachers to sit down there talking too long, and a lot of preachers just don't listen. So I love your heart and spirit like. I mean, because, as I've often said, my husband, who is unfortunately for him, heard really almost every sermon I've ever preached, mm. right? Because we were dating when I went to seminary. So, And what he said to me early on in my preaching career was, listen, you can be good or you can be short. I don't really care which one you are, but you better be one or the other. <laughs> so I feel like a lot of that, times that's pretty good. the Holy Spirit is good. saying, brother, sister, <laughs> just sit down. Just, just yeah. sit down because yeah. you're not good, but you can still get short. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Um, or you are good, but not that good. Not that Sit down. good. Yes, anyway. So. so what are you preaching? Well, interestingly, I am not super sure. Originally, I had planned to preach um, Galatians in July. That's right. Um, and I, although I plan my sermon, my preaching, I, I work with some folks, um, like, at, at, actually, we'll probably start soon, gathering together and doing kind of a spiritual inventory of the congregation looking at places where we're strong that we want to encourage looking at places where we're weak and that we want to do some specific teaching around mm -hmm. certain things um, but really trying to be intentional about letting the preaching moment be a pastoral moment too mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. it's really geared to this particular congregation and the actual work that we're doing right now mm -hmm. in our mission mm -hmm. um all that to say is you know i i lay out my preaching schedule for 2019 at the end of 2018 um, and so I had planned to do Galatians because I find this time of year around the 4th of July, it's helpful mm -hmm. to just remind people where our freedom comes from mm -hmm. um, and where it doesn't mm -hmm. and how to be um, in the world and not of it and yeah, how, to, good. how to be a citizen of the United States 
but understanding that our primary identity is that a citizen of as citizen of heaven, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. how we can be salt and light. Yeah. Uh, but because of the particular way that the Fourth of July lands this year on a Thursday, um, which is great because it doesn't really mess so much with mm-hmm. the you know people don't really it, anyway it's just helpful, and because of vacation and a youth Sunday, I really only have two Sundays in July, so mm-hmm. I don't even. <laughs> You are not going to preach Philippians in 16 weeks. Even I don't think that I can preach Galatians in only two weeks. So all that to say is I've I've been praying about if I need a different plan. And I I was thinking that I would like to do um, a sermon at some point. And we've talked before about um, communion and just what is communion and what is our theology of communion Mm -hmm, and why mm -hmm. do we do this? And, you know, what is it? So I I I thought we were going to do that in the fall. I thought you, yeah. Well, I was just thinking I might do that this Sunday. Okay. And then I might do another sermon on baptism later, um, the next Sunday, Mm -hmm. and do a remembrance of baptism. Because I just Mm. feel like these are really important things. And we we celebrate them often in worship and do a little bit of unpacking. Mm. But I just think it, you know, it, it would be worth having a whole, a whole day, a whole Mm. moment, a whole focus Mm -hmm, on mm -hmm. this is what the Lord's table is. And this is what it means to be fed at this table. And this is what it means to welcome other people at this table. And this Mm -hmm. is why everyone is welcome. And Mm -hmm. this is why there are times that while I definitely want to worship God, you know, with all my understanding, there are times when our understanding is limited and we just need to move forward. So, so I think that's what I'm going to do and, um, use using, um, I'm not sure what text I'm going to use, but probably um, one of the Pauline texts. But I'm looking at that um, Tom Wright book mm-hmm, that we mm-hmm. got yeah. on communion and some sections of this Searching for Sunday. And another book um, that a friend gave me called We Will Feast by Kendall Vanderslice, Rethinking Dinner, Worship, and the Community of God. And just mm-hmm. thinking, I really want to help people understand that like before it was this ritualized worship moment with all this stuff that we've put around it, it was a meal with Jesus and his friends and connecting and, you know, have some time to really unpack that connection to Passover. And anyway, so that's, well, and also for me, the, um, one of the things I'm, I'm drawn to, um, uh, concerning the table is this idea that in the ancient world, you didn't have table fellowship with people that were not of your same social status. Correct. And Correct. so um, early Christians were um, ostracized, sometimes disowned by their families. So if you're hanging out with those folks, right. then, you know, we, we got to cut you off. Right. Um, and and the reality is that we, we are invited to this table and we come and there's this, this real unity that it's more, it's more than... Um, a symbolic sentiment. There's a real unity there that I think is really powerful. Well, and I also would like to help connect it to our practice as a community of faith of sharing meals together mm-hmm, and really mm-hmm. helping people understand that there's something sacred and something um, really um, like, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Not performative, but, you know, it's it's a proclamation when yeah. we especially as a community like ours that's full of people who the world does not bring together. Mm-hmm. And when we not only share a pew together, but share a meal together, and it's a way of making community. And this community is 
really subversive. Mm-hmm. And so we have to do that. And, 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 and that doing that is an act of love towards God and one another and extends communion and beyond. It is, it is um, a pointer, a manifestation, that's a better word, of, mm-hmm. of the reality of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. And that someday we are going to share every mm-hmm. meal together yeah, in the kingdom yeah. and we start that now because yeah. we are living in the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm now absolutely um, yeah. so yeah so that's what I am going to preach on so um, thank y'all for listening and if you want to find out more about our churches um, you can search for Derida Church on Google because their website's under construction DeridaPress.org Derida thank you oh you fixed it Wait, well, no yeah. it's not fixed it's 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 rough at this point DeridaPress.org or you can look for thegrivecharlotte.org and you can check out podcasts of all of the sermons that we've been talking about, you can look for Derida Prez Sermon Podcast on the Podbean website. That's correct. And you can search on iTunes for the Grove Church Podcast. So we will talk to you soon. 